God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Well, that's one opinion. But the man born 200 years ago today regarded it as a prime example of uninformed ignorance. You see, today is being celebrated around the world as Darwin Day, the international celebration of the most influential man in the last two centuries in terms of human intellectual progress, Charles Darwin. Now, everyone knows Darwin is given the credit for being the father of the theory of evolution, even though the theory was around for at least a century before Darwin. Few people know that Darwin neither invented nor discovered the theory of evolution. He merely popularized it. And while some people still try to maintain that Darwin didn't really believe that man was descended from apes, Darwin's own words make his position quite clear. He wrote, We thus learn that man is descended from a hairy-tailed quadruped, probably arboreal in its habits. Well, it's not surprising that holding such a view, Darwin was widely criticized by the church when these words were published in his 1871 volume, The Descent of Man. It's also not surprising that some of the same churches that criticized Darwin's views then are falling all over themselves now to make amends for their past mistakes and use this occasion of Darwin's 200th birthday to endorse his views. Just last September, in leading up to this celebration, the Church of England apologized to Darwin in these words. Charles Darwin, 200 years from your birth, the Church of England owes you an apology for misunderstanding you, and by getting our first reaction wrong, encouraging others to misunderstand you still. A statement on the Church of England's website explains, Darwin's meticulous application of the principles of evidence-based research was not the problem. But whilst it is not difficult to see why evolutionary thinking was offensive at the time, on reflection, it's not such an earth-shattering idea. Yes, Christians believe that God became incarnate as a human being in the person of Jesus and thereby demonstrated God's special love for humanity. But how can that special relationship be undermined just because we develop a different understanding of the process by which humanity came to be. It's hard to avoid the thought that the reaction against Darwin was largely based on what we would now call the yuck factor, an emotional, not an intellectual response, when he proposed a lineage from apes to humans. But for all that, the reaction now seems misjudged. Oh, really? Well, considering the source, perhaps we ought not to be surprised by the words. 
And not to be outdone, this week officials from the Church of Rome completed their own embrace of Darwinism, which began with a statement from Pope Pius XII way back in 1950 and continued with the reaffirmation of that position by Pope John Paul II in 1996. Just two days ago, Archbishop Gianfranco Ravasi, head of the Pontifical Council for Culture, stated that Darwin's theory of evolution was compatible with the Christian faith, saying, in fact, what we mean by evolution is the world as created by God. And not to be outdone, Father Giuseppe Tanzella-Niti, professor of theology at the Pontifical Santa Croce University in Rome, went further, claiming that Darwin's teaches had already been anticipated by both St. Augustine and, of course, Thomas Aquinas. Boy, would they have been surprised to hear that. (laughs) But before we join this birthday love fest, perhaps we ought to think just a little more deeply about where Darwin has actually led us. You see, Darwin did not simply construct what the Anglican church called a different understanding of the process by which humanity came to be. Darwin himself saw very clearly where his ideas led. And moving beyond this different process by which humanity came to be, Darwin saw that his ideas led inexorably to the rejection of two further ideas— the idea of God as creator of the world, and the idea of a moral framework inherent within creation. Darwin wrote, The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And beyond this, Darwin saw that his ideas led ultimately to the denial both of the existence of God and the existence of the human soul. Darwin wrote, Formerly I was led by feelings to the firm conviction of the existence of God and the immortality of the soul. But now the grandest scenes would not cause any such convictions and feelings to arise in my mind. Ideas have consequences, and it's clear from Darwin's later writings what exactly the theological consequences of Darwin's ideas are. So before we join the Anglicans and the Romans in declaring that Darwin's amoral atheism is compatible with the Christian faith, we ought to take Darwin a little more seriously and attend to the consequences of his ideas. Ideas have consequences. And influential ideas like Darwin's have far-reaching consequences, consequences that go far beyond their starting point. So before we leave Darwin's birthday party, we should count up some of the other non-theological consequences of Darwin's ideas. One of Darwin's first and most influential disciples was the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. 
Embracing Darwin's denial of God and promoting Darwin's idea of the emergence of a master European race as the natural outcome of the process of evolution, Nietzsche in turn inspired Adolf Hitler to create a political system that embodied a fascist version of Darwin's theory. The result, 200 or 20 million dead. Another of Darwin's disciples took Darwin's vision of a universe characterized by a blind, pitiless indifference and his recognition that mankind must set aside pity for the individual for the sake of the survival of the race. This disciple had a different set of political presuppositions, and Lenin created a political system that embodied a communist version of Darwin's theory. The result, 100 million dead. Yet another disciple of Darwin read these words of his. Darwin wrote, With savages, the weak in body or mind are soon eliminated, and those that survive commonly exhibit a vigorous state of health. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our utmost to check the process of elimination. We build asylums for the imbecile, the maimed, and the sick. We institute poor laws, and our medical men exert their utmost skill to save the life of everyone to the last moment. Thus, the weak members of civilized society propagate their kind. No one who has attended to the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. It is surprising how soon a want of care or care wrongly directed leads to the degeneration of a domestic race. But excepting in the case of man himself, hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. Acting on these words of Darwin, Margaret Sanger first campaigned for the eugenic ideal of a forced sterilization to prevent the breeding of the unfit, which, by the way, she estimated at one-half of the American population. And when that failed, she formed Planned Parenthood to work for the elimination of the unfit by controlling their birth rate. The result, the promotion of abortion as a form of birth control and 35 million dead in America alone, not to mention a president who just recently signed an executive order that will make America the largest exporter of abortion in the world, a presidential order that is nothing less than a death warrant for untold millions around the world, with you paying the bill. We could go on, but someone will protest and say that it's not fair to blame poor Charles for the excesses of those that followed him. And this might perhaps be true, if those who followed him were acting contrary to his ideas, but they were not. Nietzsche and Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, Margaret Sanger, they were doing nothing but putting into practice the obvious and direct implications of Darwin's ideas. They may indeed have become evil on their own without Darwin, 
but they became exactly the evil that they were because they embraced Darwin's amoral atheism, his universe of blind, pitiless indifference, and his belief in a purely material man who had not only the right but the duty to crush all opposition and to prevail in nature's struggle in which only the fittest survive. They are Darwin's children, and their ideas are extensions of his own, a putrid excrescence from the anus of perdition, an excrescence responsible for more than 150 million victims and counting. And what of you? Are you one of Darwin's children? I ask because, you see, there are plenty of people around, even within our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and even on this campus, who think that all of this is ultimately much ado about nothing. A debate over some obscure, even trivial theological nicety that doesn't really matter much at the end of the day. But if you will bear with me for just one more moment, I'd like to explain why this does matter. Why it is not, as the Anglican Church says, just a different understanding of the process by which humanity came to be. On one level, it matters a great deal what we think about what man is or what we are. It matters because what we think we are shapes what we become, just as it did for Hitler and Lenin and Sanger. But on a second and ultimately much more important level, the Christian doctrine of creation is not so much about what we are as it is about what God is. We tend to think of the omnipotence of God expressed through His creative acts as a nice theological abstraction. But it's more than that. It's fundamentally and essentially tied to our hope in the gospel because it's tied to God's ability to save. You see, like Darwin, the paganism of the ancient world held the view that matter was eternal. As a result, the ancients thought that no God was powerful enough, no God was all-powerful, no God had sufficient power to do everything that that God wanted to do. By contrast, the biblical doctrine of creation and the many miracles that God performs in both the Old and the New Testaments comforts us with the confidence that the one true God has the power necessary to accomplish His will and to carry out what He intends. And this is a source of comfort to us because in Jesus Christ, God has revealed that His will and His intention is to save you. Only an all-powerful God can bring the universe into existence by His Word alone. Only the all-powerful Creator can bend water and wine and bread to His will and make them the means to give you His grace. Only the all-powerful Creator 
can give life to dead flesh and raise you up by grace from the grave to everlasting life in Him. It's finally that confidence that is at stake in the debate over Darwin's views. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? And because he is the creator, he has the power to deliver on his promise to save you in Jesus Christ. Now you have heard. Now you know. Go in peace in Christ, who both made you and made you his own. Amen.